I'm Matt Weston. This evening, I'm joined by Scott Martin. As you know, I'm Battle Red Blog as L4 Blitzer. How are you doing tonight, Scott? Oh, I'm doing good. Yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I, uh, I'd i be feeling a lot better if Tyrod Taylor had a hamstring that was operating properly and we had like a full conclusion of this football game that went from electric and dynamic and turned to a wet Davis Mills fart at the end of it whenever he came in the second half. Uh, definitely a, a tale of two halves, as they say in the cliche world, but it, it definitely was that. I mean, Taylor, I mean, Titus Howard had more penalties than Taylor had incompletions. That, that was, I would not have bet that, but okay. Yeah. Well, so the game started off uh, 14-14 at the end of the first half, and then disaster came in. I'm not sure exactly when Taylor got hurt either happened on his scramble touchdown or whenever he threw a pass uh, rolling to his left right at the end of the second half and they're trying to get some points. We don't know which, where it happened exactly, but uh, whenever the second half started, we saw Davis Mills instead. And like you mentioned with Taylor, Taylor was 10 for 11 for 125 yards, threw one touchdown and ran for another um, to start this half. So how are you surprised by how good Taylor has been the last game and a half? Well, I mean, I think... For one, particularly with Cleveland, he definitely had a little extra juice. I mean, guys had – it's almost like if he didn't have bad luck, he wouldn't have any luck at all. I mean, you know, ends up in Buffalo. He's the starting quarterback for the first – you know, the first Buffalo team to make the playoffs since Wade Phillips in the uh, unfortunate game against Tennessee that the Bills fans will still complain about. Uh, and then – but then, you know, he wasn't good enough there. So, you know, send him to Cleveland – placeholder there i mean at that point cleveland was nfl siberia you know the place warmer until uh baker mayfield gets there and you know he has his injury problems and then san diego was the worst part or now los angeles should still be san diego my personal yeah i still call the raiders uh oakland as well too i don't i feel like though al davis if he was still alive would probably make a move to las vegas because that's an al davis thing but the lot you know the los angeles chargers uh -uh, that yeah, but anyway, he goes there and has like one of the worst bits of medical malpractice I've heard of in the NFL and then loses his gig to Justin Herbert. And, you know, the guys that replaced him, obviously all good players, Josh Allen, uh, Baker Mayfield and Justin Herbert. But dude's been given some bad breaks. So, you know, obviously say what you will about what's happened in 2021 with the Texans, the offseason. But, um, you know, Taylor coming out and having six pretty solid quarter so far until his hamstring injury. I'm glad to see it. And and I think with Cleveland, I did I wouldn't have pegged 10 for 11, you know, a touchdown and a touchdown run, okay, but not not how well he was passing against Cleveland. And, and it's just, you know, injuries are just an unfortunate, you know, part of his bio, but also just an unfortunate part of the game. So that that just sucked across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Taylor's been really interesting this season cuz there's like how like three like no interest about Taylor. 
what he's best at is not turning the ball over and taking sacks. He had like historically low interception rate with his time in Buffalo. Uh, he's difficult to bring down, but like he's very conservative, you know. And so like, he doesn't really make a bunch of big plays at all. He kind of plays in the structure of the offense. And then in Houston last week against Jacksonville, he had four like enormous plays. Those t- two deep throws to Brandon Cooks. He had that cover zero blitz touchdown to Farrell Brown, and he had that big scramble as well too. And that was really atypical, you know, from Taylor. And then this week was like a kind of more what you would expect, you know, like it was like an efficient, like short passing offense where, you know, he was able to throw those slant routes against cover four well. They had that Casper screen uh, to Philip Lindsay. His scramble as a result of Cleveland running a slant inside and they am negating their pass rushing lanes him escaping to the Ryan scoring on that one as well too. But he's just been like really accurate, especially in the shorter part of the field. It's just the big plays were kind of like the big aberration, you know? And uh, we didn't see the big plays this week. Instead, it was kind of more in line with the structure of the offense and kind of really like, you know, picking at that cover four defense that Cleveland plays. But yeah, he's been uh, a lot better than I thought he was going to be entering this year. And uh, he's been a lot better than he was in Cleveland a lot better than he was in Los Angeles. And I would say even probably better than he was in Buffalo. You know, Buffalo, he was he was really used as a power runner a lot. Uh, but, like, he never, mm-hmm. like, Buffalo had a really good offense, like, a good, really good rushing attack whenever Rex Ryan was the head coach. But he destroyed their defense. But Greg Roman really kind of got the most out of him. And so, like, you know, he's been playing, like, a comparable level they did in Buffalo. But I think his passing's been better. Uh, he just doesn't have the same, like, impact in the run game now, though. Yeah, and I... You know, and I think, too, I mean, being conservative, just kind of going within, you know, at this point, he, he's a known commodity. He is what he is. But, you know, Texas or Houston Texans have given him that great opportunity because the expectations were low and the Texans kept lowering the bar with what the franchise was doing. So anything he was going to do was gravy. And I, I think coming out with that's, you know, generally conservative play, which you know, he's not going to be the dynamic playmaker that Watson is and just kind of take what you can get. But there's something to be said for that, too. I mean, you, you don't hit a home run every time you go to, go out, to, you know, up to bat and you're not going to throw a touchdown every time you throw a pass. And there, there's something to be said for just playing smart, which for the Texans, especially this year, whatever success they're going to get, it's going to have to be from, you know, they bring in all these veterans. Well, Hopefully they have some veteran guile and, you know, understanding of what works and what doesn't. And that that's whatever success they're going to get. That's what's going to be. And I think Taylor at least has been a good quarterback in that system. Different world. I mean, I'd love to have him as a backup, obviously, to Watson before, you know, everything that's transpired. But yeah. and, and, wow. I mean, and we knew, too, like he was going to be the starter this year. You know, like they, they yeah. signed him after Watson asked for the trade. Uh, but it was also like before the sexual assault allegations came out as well too. But it was expected from the start. And like he was the perfect backup quarterback for Watson. You know, like we always kind of joked around the fact that Watson's backup quarterbacks were, you know, AJ McCarron and guys that don't really run the same offense at all that Watson runs. And now they have that in Taylor too. And we had our first listener question was from at Texans Doc, who writes for uh, the Toro Times. And he's a, he's a good Texans person out there. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. And he asked, does Houston win this football game with Tyrod Taylor? That's a hard one. I mean, it, it especially with Cleveland's defense, 
I think it was throwing them off guard what we were doing and how successful we were. And I and I'd felt coming into this game, particularly after the disappointing loss they had at Kansas City, a game, kind of a revenge game from the playoff game they thought they should have won. And then opening day, they were they were leading Kansas City, and then they let that one get away. I mean, granted, Kansas City's all sorts of talent, so you know, no shame in losing an arrowhead to them. But I felt like coming in, they might have some trouble early on trying to get their feet under them. And they did. Um, I think if the second half had evolved, you know, it's possible he still is throwing very well. But I think the bigger factor is that the Cleveland run game was just starting to beat up the Texans front. You know, I mean, when you had Taylor, at least kind of keep a shootout. But Cleveland was just going to pound and pound and pound. And the Texans were breaking. I, I can't remember the exact time of possession for the second half, but, you know, I think Cleveland pretty much had that one in the bank until the game was all but out of reach in garbage time. So, yeah, the only thing that would have changed, I guess, with Taylor is that uh, they don't give away three points that Mills interception. And I think like it, they can play like it could have been like more of a shootout sort of game. And Cleveland's defense mm-hmm. is kind of weird right now, where it's ultra talented. You know, there's no question about the defensive talent they have, but they really haven't like pulled together and been a well executed defense just yet. You know. And even go, even going back to last year too, I know they add a bunch of players this offseason, but going back to last year, their defense was was below average. Still a lot of talent, but they couldn't like fully execute, you know. And so I think this game would have been closer. But yeah, I agree. I think Cleveland would have won anyways. I don't think the Texans win this game with Tyrod Taylor. And like you mentioned, like the run game was too much, and uh, and Baker really kind of found the holes in the coverage after that you know, first interception that he had. And he only had two incompletions this entire game too. And so I don't really see a world where you know they score 34, 37 points against Cleveland, and uh, I think I think they would have lo- I think they would have lost anyways, but uh, we didn't get to really find that out at all. And that was the most disappointing part about today's game. It wasn't necessarily you know Houston losing or anything like that. It was just how much of a drag you know that second half was, and watching mm-hmm. Davis Mills play football. Um, he completed eight for eighteen of his passes for 102 yards, averaged 5.7 yards an attempt. Uh, Tyrod Taylor averaged, I think, 11.2 uh, around there. He had one turnover, took one sack. He fumbled once and threw one touchdown. His QBR was 9.8. Tyrod Taylor was 94.7. And there was just like <laughs> numerous, just like, just awful throws uh, for Mills this game. That third and six out round, his first possession was terrible. The interception mm-hmm. size on 20 was terrible. The deep throw to Cooks up the middle of the field was abysmal. He also had a complete lack of a- awareness, too, of his horrifying. That hit he took from Grant Delput was like a, was murderous. That he took from Jadavian Clowney was uh, <laughs> where he was just like completely like crunched uh, by him too. And it, I mean these shots he took were just like I felt bad for him out there. You know he wasn't prepared to play. He wasn't ready to play. It almost seemed like malpractice too. And then the touchdown drive he had, the, the Browns had a 27-yard defensive pass interference penalty on something that probably wouldn't been completed at all anyways. And then David Johnson caught that dump off on third and eleven. That uh, they got them that first down, throwing to the flat, and uh, so are you. Are you afraid at all for Davis Mills' safety and well-being right now? One thing I will say is, your first experience is coming in at halftime of a game, and you know the NFL, not like Major League Baseball, where guys are trained to come in as relief pitchers. It's you know you plan for your starter to play the whole game, and suddenly, yeah, it happens at halftime. It's like, oh, congratulations, go in and play. 
and you'll get Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney and stuff. That's your first real NFL experience for a live game. So I think that he had nerves and that it didn't go so well initially. I'm not shocked. Um, it doesn't appear to augur well for the future. Now, you know, coach speak and everything that happened in the preseason, because we remember what the reporting was like his first preseason practice. It was almost like what defensive back didn't intercept him for his first practice. And so you would think, if nothing else, he could try to learn from that. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's a good thing it's a lost season anyway for the Texans, honestly. But uh, if, yeah, if we have to rely on him longer term, I mean, the first start doesn't exactly bode well, but, you know, not every rookie's going to go out and have like a, a perfect quarterback rating and suddenly go like 20 for 30 and 220 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions in their first relief appearance. So um, I'll hold the jury out a little bit. That first one obviously didn't look good, but I would also chalk that up to being thrown into the fire with like little to no preparation. Mm -hmm. That could be in other areas, but I think I'll wait and see before I label him a full third round bust. But yeah, first game didn't look good, but under the circumstances, I'm not shocked either. Yeah, and it's kind of weird also the parallel he has to Deshaun Watson right now because Watson's first appearance came in the second half against Jacksonville after Tom Savage was sacked six times yeah. in the half, and then he was sacked yeah. four times after that. And then also he is his first start was a quick turnaround Thursday night football against Cincinnati. He had that great touchdown run that kind of like started, you know, the Watson era in Houston. And so Davis Mills is kind of going through the same thing where he came into a second half, played poorly, and uh, hopefully, you know, he has a performance similar to what Watson had against Cincinnati and you know, has a win against Carolina. I just don't see it. And, like, the thing about Mills, too, for me, it's not necessarily just this half. Like, we also have his college career to watch as well, too, when he played, like, in a pro-style offense in Stanford. And he just doesn't have pocket awareness. He isn't athletic enough to make up for his lack of accuracy. And his arm strength isn't there as well, either, you know? And, uh, like, I just don't, I don't know why Houston took him to the third round. I mean, I think he's, like, a, probably going to be a backup quarterback. Like, his best skill is throwing sideline passes, you know, with some, like, touch down there. But, like, it still requires the wide receiver to go make some, some big plays on those. And, uh, like, the way they celebrated when they made the pick, too, was so funny as well. And so it's not just this half, it's everything else as well. And it all kind of paints, like, a, you know, somewhat murky picture with it just being, you know, half a game played. But I just don't, I don't see the Mills thing at all. And I'm, I'm like really kind of horrified watching him just because of how he has zero awareness at all. You know, and he did the same thing in college too. He would walk himself into sacks. He would take big hits. He took like five brutal hits this game and just wasn't even seeing any pressure, not even come from his blind side, but from his right. Cause he's just looking left at Brandon Cooks the entire time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so going up against this Carolina defense that already has 10 sacks and you know, 20 plus quarterback hits in two games against um, against the Jets and now with the win against the Saints and the Saints have a really good offensive line. I if he starts this week, like I'm I'm afraid of what could happen, you know? Yeah, I of course a short week is always a strange wrinkle with the NFL. You're never quite sure how teams are going to respond. And I think I mean the fact that the Texans are so veteran laden, even for a team with as little talent. It could be a blessing and a curse. I mean, many of these guys probably have dealt with a Thursday night turnaround after a Sunday game, so they would know how to get themselves in condition. But also that short turnaround, I mean, 
being a little bit older and a little more, you know, tread, you know, more treads on the tires as it were, and a little more worn down, the recovery time is going to be a little more difficult too. So I, it's going to be a strange one. Uh, but, you know, based on the sample I've seen from Mills, yeah, I'm not thinking, wow, this is going to be a great third round pick for the Texans. I, uh, let's, let's see how this one evolves. But yeah, I'm not thinking this start is very encouraging. So, you know, a little bit of, uh, and hamstrings aren't something that usually heal very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to see, you know, what what sort of what happened with it and how things move forward. But, you know, I, I if he start if Tyrod Taylor goes Thursday, okay. But I, I'm not holding out a lot of hope for it. I mean, obviously we'll have to see what the medical staff says. But yeah, we'll and we saw a cutie too. Like cutie lost entire season because of a hamstring issue. Anthony Walker with the Browns. Got hurt the hamstring last week against Kansas City, and he's on the IR. He's gonna miss you know up to six weeks, and so, and it's kind of those soft tissue issue injuries that are nagging like this are are kind of weird. You really have no idea when you know he may or may not play. Like Taylor could play, I guess, on Thursday hypothetically, or he could miss you know six weeks. We really don't have an idea right now, but I think it's kind. Of, I I feel like it's safe to assume that we're going to see Davis Mills against Carolina on Thursday, and I'm concerned for his safety and well being. Um, we had another question here from at Houston Houdini. Does the Mettenberger comp for Mills hold up after today's action? Oh, wow. Or we like to update it? And I wrote about it whenever I wrote a film room on Davis Mills that he just had zero pocket awareness at all, you know? And it just really reminded me of Zach Mettenberger. And the difference with Mettenberger is that he had like some arm strength and, and some moxie. And I guess he, he was like, he seemed like an interesting guy. I don't know if Mettenberger is interesting or not. But Davis Mills also just seems like the most boring individual. His Twitter handle is uh, Millions, which I absolutely hate as well too. And uh, and it, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, um, with him, and maybe we see a little more personality from him, whatever else. And you can coach like pocket awareness. And Pep Hamilton's a great quarterback coach, and maybe they can do a better job with him. But um, you know, right now it's scary. It's scary, and I was I would stick to that comp. The only upside I see in Davis Mills for Thursday whatsoever is that Tim Kelly has done a really an extraordinary job the first two weeks of the season by running like a really efficient passing attack. I know there was concerns about him, you know, coming into this year's offensive coordinator as like a half-hearted attempt to appease Watson and like his comments too, that he needs to run the ball more this year, but really he's done a really good job using stack sets to create open throws. Um, I like that Casper screen he ran today was awesome. He ran. He took that drag flat repass option and stuck a wheel route on it uh, to Brandon Cooks. He ran it last week as well to an interesting way and was able to hit kind of like a deeper out route on it too. They had that uh, that glance that glance route from RPO to Nico Collins to start the game too. And again, like Taylor only had one incompletion that first half, and he's done a really great job coordinating a very efficient you know passing attack. And I, and I think like they have a good like run pass balance. You know, like 26 carries from Mark Ingram from in week one was a result of you know, being up and being able to kind of kill the clock out. And today, I think it was they had a really good like 50-50 balance. And you know, they have to run the ball a little bit in order for the rest of their offense to work by how much play action RPOs that they run. Um, and they haven't been particularly great at run blocking just yet. But I think it's worked out really well. And so with Kelly being like doing the as good of a job as he's done so far with him and Mills with a quick turnaround. That's the only like safety blanket I can count to at all for you know, Davis Mills surviving this Carolina game at all. Uh, but that being said, like I think there's a chance they score you know six points and, and Mills doesn't make it through the game. 
always possible. I mean, I'll echo that on uh, Kelly. I think even last season after, you know, Bob was purged and the concerns were like, is he going to be too much of a O'Brien acolyte? But I think, well, last season it was at least smart enough to know, okay, the only way I'm going to move forward is just put the ball in Watson's hands, spread sets, and just not try to force the run game any more than necessary. We don't have much of a run game. Just use what you got. And you could maybe look at it again that he's at least knowing what his personnel are, knowing what he can and can't do, because he can't really run the same offense he had with Watson last year for this year. So I think that just speaks well for him that, okay, he knows what we have and what we don't have, what we can do. So, I mean, yeah, knowing Mills' limitation, I'm not expecting to turn him into a miracle worker, but I, I would echo that I think Kelly will get him as good a position as possible on a short week with knowing Mills' limitation. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, we have another question from Asmith Grandma. What is his awareness of Madden based on today's performance? I'm going 33.3. Because it's half of six six six, and uh, it, it's fitting for the team's culture and and how Mills performed this week. I'm still surprised that the team is still going to go with three sixth round picks. Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like that's going to change before draft day. There's either going to be four or two, but we can't stay at three. Um, I would say that, but also we caveat it too with like, dude's first real live game experience, and you're throwing in at halftime against in theory, a pretty dangerous pass rush, which, you know, not exactly the way you want to get broken into the NFL. It'd be a little different, you know, coming in relief in Jacksonville versus going against Cleveland at the dog pound. So, mm. you know, I, I understand the rating for this one, but, you know, let's see if he learns a little bit more. I'm not expecting it to suddenly turn to like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady level in three days, but We'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, just on this game alone, it would be about as low as you can get in Madden. So yeah, I think they go like there. I haven't played Madden since like 2009. I heard they're a lot more brutal with their ratings, you know. So I think you could see a 33 in there. Um, <laughs> the next question we have is from at Texans Doc. He said that any are there any realistic options for Davis Mills or beyond Davis Mills for Thursday night? And I mean, I guess they could. They're probably going to sign Jeff Driscoll to the active roster. If Taylor's going to be out at all. And Driscoll was awful in the preseason this year. And Mills is awful in the preseason this year. And I think that's like the extent they can go to Thursday. Um, we had another question from Smooth Grandma asking about the odds of Cam Newton starting Thursday or Deshaun Watson. And uh, <laughs> there, there's a better chance, I think, of either of those two things happening than the Texans being the Panthers with Davis Mills. Um, but one of the questions that came up in the postgame conference today was David Coley was asked if there's a chance that Deshaun Watson could play on Thursday night if Tyrod Taylor can't play any reply, we'll have to see. So there there at least is that. So do you see any chance that Watson or Cam Newton plays for the Texans on Thursday? Uh, no and no. Um, first off, I mean, okay, yeah, you could try to bring Cam Newton in, but one, would Newton want to come into this situation? I mean – even if he was at his MVP 2015 level before the injuries, you're coming into a new system and a three-day turnaround. I mean, I, I guess things have happened like that in the past with, I'm thinking like Don Strzok with the Cleveland Browns back, you know, in the 80s before a playoff game. I think he was signed a week or two out. And then Bernie Kosar was the same way with Dallas in the early 90s during their Super Bowl run. They brought him in like 
on a Monday, and then on a Sunday he had to play because Aikman was out. But I, I don't see that happening with Cam Newton on a short week. And Watson, uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that ain't happening on so many levels. Uh, Watson doesn't want to do it. The team doesn't want to do it. And in your one primetime national game, you want Watson starting, which then <laughs> opens up that other can of worms. That It would be the biggest <laughs> circus uh, I've ever seen. And like the the thing about Cam Newton too is I know whenever he was kept by New England, there was a lot of like I don't know like like pandering for him to sign for you know their team that sort of thing. And like I could see him being like a backup quarterback, um, like for Baltimore for example, you know. But I guess they're happy with McSorley and they don't want him. But Cam hasn't been good for three years, you know. And like I love Pete Cam Newton. He's one of the you know most electrifying quarterbacks I've ever watched. He was so much fun, but. His arm doesn't work anymore. Like he can't. He doesn't have like an actual like full range of motion at all. And uh, he's been inaccurate. And he's older, and he can't do things against the blitz, blitz anymore at all. And so like him getting cut from New England, I don't think it was all that surprising. I don't think Mac Jones when the starting job was surprising. I predicted that would happen you know, before the season started. But you know, he's old. He's older, you know, and he's he hasn't been good for three years. And so I can't imagine a world where you know, Cam Newton starts for the Houston Texans as well either. I think it's me, Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. And what was starting off as like a surprisingly fun season where the Texans were, you know, playing well and kind of playing in an interesting way. And Taylor was, had this rejuvenated season going on that has gone, you know, completely sour immediately um, without Taylor playing at all. Yeah. I mean, and I guess for Thursday too, like if Mills goes out and then you've got Driscoll and if Driscoll goes out, we could, I don't know. We've still got like four or five running backs on the roster. If we want to try to bring back the old T formation single wing from like the thirties and forties, yeah. yeah, I'd love to see that action. If that's just off the playbook from uh, George Hallis's time and see what we got. Mark, e- Mark Ingram could play wildcat quarterback. You know, he did that a little bit in Baltimore. <sighs> you may as well have fun with it if it's just going to be a disaster. So, you know, or they could get like, you know, last year with Denver when like all the quarterbacks were, mm-hmm. you know, kicked out for COVID and they had to sign the wide receiver off the street. Yeah. On a Wednesday, guess what? You're the starting quarterback in a real live NFL game. Go. So. Yeah. I, I, think, I think he completed two passes too. That was funny. Yeah, it's like it, the, it, the, the Broncos went through every quarterback imaginable since Peyton Manning retired. It's like, how about we try not even having a quarterback? Oh yeah. That doesn't work as well either. Yeah. This isn't the 1920s or thirties anymore. You, you kind of have to throw the football with some, competency to, to do okay yeah and so i know he harped a lot about the taylor injury but it really was the the key to this game you know the texans may have been in it if if taylor doesn't get hurt we don't know exactly what happens i don't think they would win like we talked about earlier i don't think they would have won it all uh but at least it would have been like fun and like the texans again were like really surprisingly fun the last two weeks compared to you know, the doom and gloom that we sort of expected during the season and I, I kind of think one of the things about this team too is I, I just think they're like they're well coached and they like each other. I know there's been a lot of joking around about the culture, but even the player interviews that I only see from, you know, Rivers McCown Twitter clips, uh, but they all say like really great things. Like they, they like playing here. They like being here. They like the coaching staff. And one of the things that was a problem with the Bill O'Brien era was that they never got, like they didn't really do much coaching from like a positional aspect. Mm-hmm. They just kind of like ran through their offense and they didn't progress any players at all unless the talent was so undeniably good that you couldn't screw it up at all. And, uh, and, no, and like nobody got better, but it seems like the Texans now have real actual position coaches. They're actually getting guys better. 
Um, and they actually have like a, a spot where these guys like being here, you know, and it's been the, like the actual player's perspective of everything has been a lot different than like our perspective, you know, looking through our windows is because of the Jack Easterby thing and everything else. But it seems like so far for the Texans um, team right now, as this constructed, like that hasn't been issued all for them, you know? And so it's been, it's a bummer. Cause like we went from enjoying ourselves to now getting this Davis Mills thing. And it's also just been fun to like not watching a Bill O'Brien football team. You know, the offense has been fresh. Um, the team's a lot more fun to watch. It's not so dour. And, uh, and like my biggest problem, with the O'Brien era was that there was a really, there was a Super Bowl team there, you know, and O'Brien mortgage talent. He ran a really poor offense. Um, he was very inefficient. He didn't know how to manage the clock and fourth downs very well. He was too passive a lot of times too. And uh, so he went from from that where where they were stuck at like, you know, 10 wins or so and getting stuck at the divisional round to what could have been like a Super Bowl caliber team. And uh, now like even though this version of the Texans are probably going to win four or five games, even with Taylor, I think, they're at least like fun, you know? And, uh, and it is a bummer to to lose that. And we may lose that for, you know, five, six weeks. Who know, We have no idea how long as of, I guess, what, September 19th. Mm-hmm. And it, and I would say, I mean, I think one of the things that even with all of the upheaval and sort of the negative cloud we had on the team, well, based on the fact how who was making the decisions, who was still around, it was hard not to see that if there was going to be a positive with the staff we brought on board with all the experience, like how well could they develop? I mean, are we going to see improvements in position players where historically, yeah, particularly in the latter half of the Bob regime, like you were saying, unless they were already pretty well talented to begin with, they didn't exactly improve when they got here or they might've been good before they get here and then they get here. And then, you know, like some of the free agent signings just don't pan out. Um, of course, the thing with good vibes and everything, um, will those still be here? Like, let's say fast forward five and six weeks yeah. and maybe if the team is one and, you know, they're suddenly one and six or two and five and they've been on the wrong end of a bunch of blowouts. Are you still going to have those good vibes? I, you know, um, I mean, I, I think. You know, the emphasis on teaching and development is important. Now, granted, you've got a veteran-laden roster, so as far as development, that's going to be on a different scope. I'd rather like to see this have seen this season as a massive reboot and try to get more young blood in, and maybe that just through attrition you'll see that. But, um, you know, I think there's, you can see some of those aspects even after – a loss today at Cleveland, which, you know, given how good Cleveland is talent wise, probably no shame in losing, but mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, I will have to see though. I mean, all the good vibes and stuff. Great. Now let's see what it looks like in mid season. Yeah. And that, that's a really good point. And I agree too, with like the construction of the roster. And we've talked about that before too, that you didn't make a whole lot like Nick, Nick Casario didn't have like a cohesive plan for this team this year, you know, whether it was trading picks or trading up in the draft or restructuring contract or signing a bunch of your veterans or even right now too, where they're having guys like Greenard and Brevin Jordan and Scotty Phillips, like on the inactive list and you're playing older players instead. Like I understand they're trying to win football games, but you would still like to see like a more of a youth push movement. And so it's weird. It's like, we don't really know if the Texans thought like from a front office perspective, they're going to be good this year 
or what their actual kind of plan was for the season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in you know week seven if they're one and six or whatever else. Whenever they actually start playing, uh, you know some better teams that they play Cleveland this week too. Um, the other thing I was saying about today about this game was last week the Jaguars had the miscues. You know they had the ten penalties, they had the three interceptions, they had the six drop passes, they had a, a head coach who's never watched an NFL game before in his entire life. And this week it was the Texans had the miscues. You know, except from the the two turnovers they forced, they had the Andre Roberts fumble that led to uh, Brown's touchdown after they were stopped in their first drive. They didn't accept that penalty that led to a fourth and one, and they ended up oh, punting from their fifty yard line instead. Uh, that, well, I I cannot, for the life of me, I do not know what he was thinking. Or I have what, no idea either. I yeah that. You like, know, I, I, love David, not, I love David Coley, but yeah, it was completely dumbfounding. My, my view of his judgment went way down when I, because last week, yeah, it was, they avoided the dumb play, which would plague a lot more talented Texan teams that, and they just played smart. And if you saw that your opponent was screwing up, I mean, the Texans last week were good enough, like, we'll keep screwing up. We're not getting any way. Um, and, and particularly if the Texans are going to have any modicum of success on the field, they're going to have to play that smart football. I mean, you maybe say, well, have, perfect, but you know, you can't have the dumb penalties. You can't have the stupid turnovers and, and you can't have those dumb calls. Now it didn't burn them in the short term. I think that was a drive where they got a turnover afterwards, but you know, just the idea yeah. that, and it's process over results too, you know, like even though they got the turnover, they didn't get the turnover because of the bad decision they made. You know what I mean? Like even though that it didn't hurt them on that drive right there, they still have points on the board potentially if you convert on fourth and one, you know? And it's, I mean, you had a college football game where a team got jobbed out of a down. So they were punting on what was third down, but the officials told them it was fourth. And then you see a game like this where, okay, you you don't take the penalty, but it's a fourth and one inside your opponent's territory. Or, and if you decline it and you're in that situation, then it's expected that at least you're going to line up in a formation and really try to draw them off sides. Yeah. They didn't even bother with that. Well, and even too, if you don't want to go for them fourth down, you still have third and 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, so I like, just decline the like, penalty and you can try, you know, a shot at third and 10, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and okay. Maybe, maybe you don't make it third and 10, but at least you can understand, oh, I wanted the down. You can then go after the execution, but it's like, it's going to be hard enough for this team as it is. Yeah. You don't need to help the opponent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And that, just, that call just, and having survived the Bob era and then, you know, some other parts of Texans history, uh, that call still just flabbergasts me. I, I don't know what Cully was thinking. Well, he said it earlier this year, too, after a preseason game where they kicked all those field goals. And he said, well, I just kind of go with my gut. I don't really care what the analytics says or whatever about it. It's like, yeah, I guess so. You know what I mean? But it's like if you have a 75% chance of converting fourth and one, that's uh that's better than the risk of you know thirty they got thirty yards of field position because the punter kicked into the back of the end zone you know what I mean and so rather than have a chance to extend a drive get points against a team that has a a lot more talent than you do has a better team than you do where you're playing close like every every drive every possession is precious you have to maximize each one especially whenever like you're the underdog like they are in a a thirteen point 
they're the 13 point underdog this game. You have to to maximize every drive, and they didn't do it there. And it's yeah. just because of like his feelings, you know, at the time. And so it was it was completely ridiculous. Yeah, and that's. I mean, I understand gut versus analytics. I mean, it's one thing, okay, if you did this and you were inside your 35-yard line, okay, got it. I, I would still probably try third and 10 again. But it just, yeah, that just blew my mind on so many levels that we would do that. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about that seeing office space when they beat up the copier. That was David Coley punting on fourth and one today. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that just... I mean, that wasn't the telltale that that wasn't going to be our day, but I mean, that's just like, wow. Um, we had such high hopes after Jacksonville, you know, when you embarrass Urban Meyer, which is always a good thing for everybody uh, if you can embarrass him. But, and then you just, that call, I I don't know. Yeah. I, it, yeah. Yeah, we had a question from Aspith Graham Hall. Should you accept the offsides penalty to have third and 10? I guess it would be. Or just punt on fourth and one from the 49. Uh, personally, I would have just gone for him fourth and one. I wouldn't have declined the pen- penalty at third and 10. I would have just gone for him fourth and one, you know. I, I would agree too, or at least try to draw him offside. And Clowney's yeah, good he, at jumping off sides, you know. Yeah, I mean, you line up and you try to get them to jump on a fourth and one. I'm okay with that. And if they don't, fine, whatever. You want to take the delay. Okay. But. Yeah, either that's one of those. Either if you're going fourth and one, you better at least line up to go for it, or you take you take the extra down and then third and ten. I mean, given given how Taylor was passing in that first half, I'd have, one fourth and one Taylor on a read pass option, I'd have taken my chances easily. Mm-hmm. And then you know on a third and ten, the way he was playing in the first half, I like my chances too. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, like, so, this, this is a team that's invested a ton of money and resources into their offensive line. You would you expect that you could get enough of a push for Taylor just running quarterback sneak, you know, and get that one yard there as well, too. Um, but, yeah, the Texans had the miscues this week, and, like, I really think they have to play a perfect game. You know, they they have to be the team that doesn't make mistakes. They have to tackle well. They didn't tackle well in all this game either. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the yeah. Mills interception as well, too, that kind of, you know, kind of crushed them. And they like they didn't want to tackle at certain points of this game as well too. They were so tired of it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm like there's like I, like with Taylor, I still think this is probably like a four or five win team. Like I wouldn't change my preseason prediction except for the season's gonna be a lot more fun than it was um, going into it. But like you know, if you if you have uh, like a little bit of like a talent difference and you're able to play a perfect game and play smart and play you know, confident and not be the team that makes the mistakes. So you can win games like that. We've seen Texans teams, you know, win games like that, like they did in like 2018. When they had that really great run defense, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, but whenever you have this sort of situation, you can't play games like today and win. And we ended up kind of really killing them the second half though, like the first half. Um, so I want to talk, I guess, some more about some like of the individual players and position groups and we'll start the offense and, I want to start the offensive line because I finally got my hands on some all 22. Uh, I'm no longer a plebeian or a peasant. <laughs> I, I got my hands on some of it. And so I was able to to watch the video and like the offensive line last week, I wouldn't say was like good, but they're at least physical now, you know, where they were creating first level movements and that they wouldn't do it all in years prior. They couldn't block the second level at all. But whenever you're moving a defensive tackle six yards off the ball, that covers up a lot of mistakes and you can get, you know, four or five yards off of it. Uh, their power run plays worked well. Their outside zone plays didn't work very well. And in pass protection, 
they were good at making their individual blocks, but they really struggled picking up stunts. And uh, in this game, I saw like similar issues at the second level in the run game. They didn't run the ball particularly well uh, for this game either. And pass protection, I was you know really surprised by how well they did. You know, aside from that that Delpit blitz and climbing a quarterback hit, and then Tunsil went out briefly, and Jaron Christian came in and had that holding penalty in Miles Garrett. They really did a, a great job today at, at holding up really well in pass protection, and they weren't giving up the free blitzers like they did you know, the week before too. And so that's like that's a big sign of development just one week, just being able to pass up like you know, pass around twists and stunts because Cleveland really doesn't blitz all that much at all. And so I was uh, I, w- I wouldn't say surprised, but it was like really encouraging, and it was really like great to see like a Texans offensive line just not be like a complete uh, you know atrocity like they had been at times last year too, and they weren't like a net negative like they didn't lose their game because of the offensive line clowning Malik Jackson, McDowell, and Garrett didn't crush them. And uh, they played really well today. Yeah, I, I mean, and part of it too, like, I mean, last week, yeah, they weren't getting the big yards running, but they were able to run the ball. I mean, there was always a philosophy, and I think Bill Parcells would always echo it, that it didn't always matter how many yards you rushed for, but how many attempts you were able to do. So if you were able to get 30, 35 attempts a game, that meant you were in a position where you could try to run the ball at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, under the previous regime, sometimes I think they force-fed that to the detriment. Um, but you know, for the Texans, when the game was still competitive, they weren't aside from Taylor scrambles. I mean, if nothing else, the run game was still going to keep you honest to try to set up for yeah. the pass play action pass. So, and you got a power back like Ingram who, okay, he's not going to break the runs he was a couple of years ago, but if you can still slam ahead for three, you know, three, four yards, a pop, that's at least positive yardage. And last year, well, especially if you think about last year's run game, which there really wasn't much of a run game, um, if, if the line can improve enough to where they can at least make the running game enough that you have to worry about it for setting up play action, then that's probably going to be the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, a front like Cleveland, you're probably not, unless you catch them on a bad day and you're on a real good day, you're probably not going to go for 150 total yards rushing on that front. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. And like, I, I do think this is a offense that like needs to run the ball. You know what I mean? Like even if they're not running it well, just because of how they use play action, the RPO game, or they have to like at least run the ball a little bit to get the threat of it. And Tyrod Taylor is not a quarterback who you want Throwing the ball forty-five times a game, like you want to yeah, throw the no. ball, you know, twenty-five or whatever, you know, thirty or whatever, and just run like more like a efficient attack. And so they just they just can't block the second level, you know. And once they start blocking the second level, the run game will take off a lot more. But until that happens, they're gonna be kind of stuck too, um, because I I I guess I'll before I'll say some not, another nice thing first too. Uh, Max Sharping had a really good block on that screen pass touchdown. The Texans are always just awful at making that block on on screens, and he actually made one. I couldn't believe it. And like him and Justin Britt have worked out like pretty well together as far as when they're double team blocks too. It's been encouraging to see. Um, you know, Britt's a real like outside zone center. I think Sharping probably is too, but like Howard's awful at outside zone. Um, Tensel's like okay at it, I guess. And Marcus Cannon was you know better last week than I thought he would be. And so I'm excited to watch the video from this game too to see how exactly the run game did. Um, kind of like the negative thing I, I just say is it's just like with Larry Tunsil just kind of cracks me up because this fan base just loves him so much and they love Larry Tunsil more than their own mother for a lot of them. 
And uh, <laughs> because of like, they're, they're so adamant that that trade was good. That trade wasn't good. That trade was absolutely terrible. Giving up two first round picks and a second round pick for them. And, uh, and also giving them the contract that they have, like they have so much resources invested into this one position. And that one position doesn't make an entire offensive line as well either. Uh, but Tensel will never make the alley block on a screen pass. I've seen him try to make that block 30 times and he can't make it. And today, whenever he missed it, he was actually slamming the, the ground in agony in frustration that he can't get to the alley ever in time. And it really is, it's unbelievable. And Robert Johnson was able to make that block last year a few times, which was, was cool to see. And the other thing about Tensil that cracks me up is they have him against Garrett and they were chipping for him, you know? Like that's the whole point of having Laramie Tensil is that you don't have to chip whenever you have elite pass rushers going against them and they're not going to ruin your game, ruin your day at all, you know? And so they had David Johnson chipping on Garrett Tensil and that just made me upset, you know? It's like, why even have Tunsil at all whatsoever if you're still going to chip and help Al out there? Well, I mean, you have to, I guess part of it, you have to have some justification for what was one of the worst deals in Texan history. I think we know which one was the worst by far. But um, and part of it could just be like, you know, in theory, it should be one-on-one. Okay, you're on an island, you deal with him, and we go from there. But that may be just a case of like, Kelly actually doing the coordinating thing. It's like, hmm, we could have some problems on that side. We're still going to send him anyway just to, to mitigate. Because, I mean, and I think if you're thinking Cleveland Texans, you go back a ways when, like, Joe Thomas and J.J. Watt had some of their epic battles. And there were times that Thomas would, like, flatten Watt, but then there were times Watt got the better of him. And, it, you know, yeah, you should kind of let him go one-on-one. But I, I think that may just be, coordin- you know, coaches have to accept you play with what you got you see the limitations and whatever you think is going to help you win do it if that means chipping even though it it's like i thought we paid this a king's ransom for this guy to be in an island well do what you got to do yeah i mean he's also like last year against garrett garrett got him a few times and he has sack in some like a three-man rush too um i don't i just want to see it like i just want to see him go one versus one and get another receiver out there running um, you paid this guy to do that. You gave up all those assets for him to do it. And so I see where you're coming from on it. I just don't want to see anybody ever, you know, chip for Larry Tensel from the principle of it too. Uh, the other thing I want to say about the offense is that Brandon Cooks is just like a really good wide receiver. And I know I, I had some problems. Like I didn't think the trade form was very good. I didn't really, I'd rather just have taken a wide receiver in the second round in a deep draft class and take Brandon Cooks. And like, it's obvious, like you can say hindsight or whatever, but even going to the draft, I said this and like, yeah, like the hindsight version is that, well, that could be Chase Claypool instead of Brandon Cooks, but you have no idea who they would draft or, or anything else. All anyways, mm-hmm. I also said like, I wouldn't want to pay him 15 million or whatever. I would, you'd have to restructure him, keep him on the roster. And they did exactly that. He only has a cap hit $5.6 million this year. And next year they're able to release him if they you know, choose to or trade him or whatever else. Uh, but I don't think they're going to do that. I think just like Cooks is really good. And I underrated how good he is. And uh, he's been like a number one wide receiver to start the year. Like I always saw him more of as like a 1B. Like you have him and another guy. And, uh, and like that's what will kind of carry you, you know. Like him and Will Fuller were like a good combination on paper. And he needed somebody else with him. But this year he's carried the the passing workload, you know. He did in the first week against Jacksonville. And today he had 14 targets. And the Texans only threw 28 passes, you know. Half the targets went Brand Cooks' way. He runs every route. He was all over the field. And he even took a nasty shot. And that was one of the concerns about Cooks is that with his concussion history, like, can he hold up? 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, if he takes some big hits being a little guy. And you've really, we really haven't seen him like run jet sweeps or run like a lot of drag routes. Everything's out to the sideline because of it. But he took one shot, trying to get something after the catch today too. Um, but overall, like Cooks is really good, and uh, I underrated him. And it was my own, you know, blind judgment and the hatred in my heart that that blinded <laughs> me about Brandon Cooks. Well, I mean, for one, you look at the wideouts we've got now, and who else are you going to throw to? I mean, maybe Nico yeah, Collins exactly. is a really good possession receiver but and i don't i don't think they even targeted Fayo brown today if i remember right mm-hmm. he's a guy you know based on the camp stuff and then just seeing what he's been able to do in action i'm like i'd like to see him involved more but you know you, you throw to who you think's going to win and if he's got the rapport particularly with taylor go for it i mean yeah the the concussion history is definitely a concern so you you want to be cautious on what routes you have him take i don't think you want him doing too many inside routes if possible, but you know, yeah, he has definitely uh, played very well for uh, being the number one wide receiving target for the Texans. And I I would definitely expect that to continue, whether it's Mills or Taylor or Driscoll or whatever running back is going to take the single wing offense that we have to go (laughs) to the other two get injured. So um, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't necessarily like the trade for him either. Uh, when we picked him up, just particularly because we were so limited on second round capital, but you know, in a vacuum, that wasn't a bad deal for us. Yeah, and I I agree, and like I mean, I think like it, it's worked out better than I thought it was going to, and I agree. So there isn't like another wide receiver at all aside from on this team, and like Chris Conley had one catch. I think Farrell Brown got in trouble with the coaching staff today. He was kind of doing it last week in Jacksonville as well. Like he's so amped up that he's trying to fight everybody. And David Kohler like came out on the field and like was no, talking remember, to him, yeah, whatever. Because all Claire I think had his eye. Uh, something happened to it because he was blocking Jadavian Clowney after the whistle blew, and Clowney kind of like tossed and swung him. I think he got hurt on that. They didn't really go into the broadcast at all. But I think Farrell Brown got in trouble and like it was cute seeing David Coley go go talk to him and go talk to Brown. Then. Uh, go make sure that all Claire was okay after after he was down too. Um, defensively, we're we're starting to see the cracks in this defense already. And last week we did at times, you know, with that seam touchdown route they had against cover three, with that touchdown they had against cover two as well. Just like the three interceptions, those would crush Jacksonville. That stupid fifty-five yard field goal put them down. You know, fourteen zero as well too. <laughs> and uh, and like Baker Mayfield had had two incompletions. You know, Nick Chubb had 11 carries for close to 100 yards. Nobody wanted to tackle him at all. Uh, Hunt would have had a better game, but he tripped up on on himself a few times too. And uh, their only saving grace in this game was, again, the turnovers. Justin Reed forced two on his own. And he's played really well in a split safety defense. Last year, he played mainly deep middle. Uh, same thing with his rookie year, where he was just there to take away the deep pass. And Texans have one of the best pa- uh, deep passes deep pass defenses in football with him playing back there. And this year he's just playing half the field instead with Eric Murray taking the other half. And he's been, he's been awesome to start the year. He had that interception breaking down a post route, um, playing half safety. And he also broke down another post route and just absolutely crushed people's Jones, like a rocket ship. And that uh, led to a fumble there too. And those are the, the Texas two turnovers in this game. And that was really like the only stops they had against Cleveland. They really couldn't stop them aside from you know, Justin Reed doing so single-handedly. He ended up getting hurt. He would kind of like, I guess he hurt his knee around the sideline, uh, kind of chasing down a receiver. He didn't make a tackle. It just kind of happened as he was running. And he missed the rest of the game after that point on. Uh, but he, everything I read just now is that he should be okay. 
and that he didn't tear anything at all whatsoever. And hopefully he's able to play on Thursday because he really has been the star of this defense so far this year. And um, against Jacksonville, he made a really he almost made a really nice play where he was trying to cover two routes at once, where he chased after the post, you know, flipped his hips and uh, and went to the sideline, tried to stop that pass to DJ Chark. But Lawrence's arm is too strong, so he'll put it past him. And he's been, I think he's been the best part of this defense so far this year. Uh, I wouldn't disagree either. I mean, now that he's taking the interception lead from Vernon Hargraves, but um, <laughs> big play Vernon Hargraves. Yeah, I, I think with the defense, though, I mean, yeah, and you don't read too much into preseason, but you know, the last preseason game, I, I recall, and you know, at that point, it's kind of the dress rehearsal, and no less a person than Tom Brady himself was carving up that defense left, right, and center. I mean, mm-hmm. and with the cover two, we, we know the flaws in it. They're the seam routes. If if you can't get pressure from the front four, then there are spaces for the taking. Yeah, then theory, if you can keep doing those consistent drives, well, if you've got a quarterback that only has two incompletions plus an interception, and that's it for passes that – he threw that didn't get picked up by his own teammates. Uh, you're not looking very good defensively. And, you know, I think, and the saving grace is going to be the turnovers and turnovers are such a fickle mistress because if you take away the five turnovers we've had this season, has our defense really improved from last year? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and we were expecting, I know you wrote about it too, and I wrote about it. Now the turnovers are going to be better this year. You know, you don't force uh, nine turnovers and have three interceptions. You're going to see that kind of swing more the other direction. And like we saw last week, they had three turnovers in one game after having three turnovers in 2020. And they talked about like all offseason, how they're going to you know, force more turnovers. And every defense says that, but they don't really, can't really control how many they force in a way. Um, and so it's kind of like a, it's like a fool's gold you know, thing to rely upon. It usually works for one season, but doesn't the following season either. And, you know, the, the defensive issues that, you know, we saw here, it was kind of similar last week. There were a lot of tackling problems. Like Felton uh, absolutely, like, broke Christian Kirksey's ankles out on the sideline. That screen pass touchdown he had, I counted five Texans on the ground looking up at, at Felton and six guys chasing after him, too. Uh, Charles Omenet, who's been really bad against the run again this year, is there a problem that's plagued him his entire his entire career? And they've tried to use him more as an exterior pass rusher, and he really hasn't you know, done much at all. Uh, he's an interior guy, and he's better off at that role than rushing the outside. Roy mm-hmm. Lopez wasn't good last week. I know there's some talk on Twitter that wow, like there's some encouraging signs from him. He created like one pressure because of a stunt that wasn't picked up right. He plays really hard and like he's cool, but he has a, he wasn't very good against the run last week. He wasn't good against the run again today too. Um, they can't again. They can't tackle at all. Lee Collins has been a dud so far. Vernon Hargreaves is kind of starting to show his true colors. He uh, got beat you know, four or five times today. And mm-hmm. the, I think the worst thing about um, Eric Murray had another bad game. And I think the worst thing about this team, though, is that uh, this defense, the most disappointing part, is probably Desmond King for me. I, th- I was expecting a lot more from him. He hasn't made impact at all, even playing zone coverage. And you know, him and Martin had, uh, you no, know, him and uh, Zach Cunningham had a miscommunication on that seam route touchdown to Manhurts last week. Nobody carried the seam at all. And uh, like he didn't do anything in this game as well either. He missed a tackle too. But also Zach Cunningham you know, missed the first quarter because of some disciplinary reason. 
He's been really easy to block this year, both both against Jacksonville and Cleveland. They were able to hit him head on the second level plenty of times. And we thought like at his more natural position, weak side linebacker, we can chase and tackle. He made more of an impact, but he's been crushed at the second level. He's missed a ton of tackles and Cunningham has never been able to cover it all. And I think far and away, he's the most overrated player on this defense. I know the fans love him because he makes a lot of tackles or whatever. Um, and he's learned some big hits, but he's just, just been, he's been atrocious to start the year so far. And it's really discouraging, you know, when you think about the contract and then also just the fact like you, know, I mentioned just now too, is that he's playing more in his natural role at Will Linebacker and he's still having, you know, a bad season. Like last year made sense because he went from, you know, Will to having to play Mike when McKinney went down and he's having the same problems he had last year back at his more natural position this year too. And I think, you know, the missed tackles, again, it goes back to you got to play the smart football Mm -hmm. with this team. And in theory, you have the veterans. Now, I will say this much, fourth quarter missed tackles on uh, Nick Chubb, that is not a shock. He's kind of built to do that. So, um, yeah, your pros and you should be able to make those tackles. But uh, if this team, again, is going to have any modicum of on-field success, it's going to have to be limiting those broken tackles, those big plays. Exactly. We already we already know the weaknesses inherent within a cover two scheme, and we know that the good quarterbacks are going to have a field day against it because right now our pass rush is not really getting home to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, if you're going to rely on turnovers, which in some cases can help, but again, they tend to be a very fickle mistress. I mean, they were there in the first half, but in the second half, nope. And, you know, I, I didn't see anything that wasn't different from what I saw in 2020. Yeah. And, and Only thing like, yeah, I was just know, like, and that's the thing about this defense too, is that it's built on tackling well. Like you don't let anything get past you. You come down, you tackle. You understand that there's going to be holes in your, in your zone coverage. And you have to, you mitigate by like, you're sinking deeper by the corner, being able to play the flat and the corner route at the same time. Um, you mitigate it by you know ch- like tackling really well, and then you get to get front four pressure. And so far, they haven't got much pressure from their front four. They did against Jacksonville. Blacklock and, and Jacob Martin were their best pass rushers last week. Blacklock didn't exist this week at all. Martin had that sack in a three-by-one boss front where he was one-versus-one against Jack Conklin, and he was able to chop his punch away and, and turn around and make a tackle. But you can't play Martin rundowns at all. He gets washed out every single time, and he's a, mm-hmm. an atrocious run defender. And then they've also been like using this weird defensive line rotation too, where they'll play like Janoris Jenkins and, and Demarcus Walker, and uh, and they have like two entirely different units where they'll play those two on the edges, and they'll come out another time with Martin Omanehu on the edges, and then they'll come out another time with Merciless and, and Martin on the edges, and they keep like using these weird kind of pairings also, but it hasn't worked so far at all, and and like we're starting to see more and more of the cracks, you know, um, you know Mayfield is nineteen for twenty one. And the kind of the more concerning thing about this game was how many slant routes he hit. You know, he was able to really? find that that gap between the corner and the linebacker. You're not really supposed to be able to throw slants all that well against this defense. You're expecting the linebacker to collapse on that throw after the corner jams him and, and presses him inside. And like you're you're needing to get pass rush quick and hasn't happened at all either. And so I think they, like the thing about the turnover stuff is you can get it in a game or two, and maybe you have four games or whatever, or five games where you, know, you force three or four turnovers and you're able to get a win out of it, but you can't do it over 17 games at all. 
And mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a bottom five defense for sure. And we're already we're already seeing it, you know, in today's game especially. And uh, I don't think they were like all that good last week either, aside from the turnovers too. Yeah, and that's that. That was the point as well. Like, okay, let's say that Jacksonville holds on to half of those passes, and Lawrence only throws one interception. You know, it, it could have been a much different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as much as I blame a lot of that on preparation for Urban Meyer, because you know that's easy to do, and he de- and he deserves it. But yeah, I I'm not seeing a lot of encouraging things for the defense. Now, granted, yes, it's early. In the season, there's always a possibility for shift, but I mean, you're also dealing with veteran guys, so you they're a known quantity, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, the floor and the ceiling ain't that much higher. Um, if we had a bunch of younger guys, I'd probably feel different, um, you know. And I, I think I, I made some comments on this, uh, but you know, moral victories. If this was a young team, young Mm -hmm. emerging guys, if it was a young squad and it went and lost only 31-21 at Cleveland with that type of performance, I'd feel okay. I'd take the moral victory. Not with this squad. I mean, you're you're primarily veteran-laden, so it's either win or else. I mean, you're building what with these guys. So maybe it's the tanking but not deliberately tanking but we all know we kind of are tanking anyway syndrome but it just it was just kind of painful to see not that they lost to cleveland but the way that it came about particularly second half obviously the injury to taylor you know injuries happened but it it just kind of seemed like the dumbness from 2020 returned Mm -hmm. and it's got to be bad enough with the team you've got and you're not going to have, and then the danger is not only are you losing, you're just going to be boring doing it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, last season there was a degree of entertainment and historically with Texans teams, when they lose, they generally tend to be very creative on how they get there. <laughs> it tends to be usually like, wow, they, that's kind of impressive the way you lost that. This one just seems like second half was just, a, you know, very dull, can't move the ball. The other team's pounding the rock. That that just doesn't make for a lot of excitement. That's going to make for a long, long 2020. Yeah. 2020 and that was like what was such a bummer about losing Taylor also. Like it, they were at least fun to watch and they were doing interesting things with Taylor. And with Mills, I don't know how much of that we're going to get. Um, if we're going to get it at all, you know, whatsoever. Do you have any any bright spots at all from the defense? Now that we've you know kind of murdered them about the fact they can't tackle and there's plenty of holes in the zone coverage, and they can't get front four pass rush, and their linebackers aren't covering all that well, and Justin Reed's the only one who's any good, and Jacob Martin can't run block, and Eric Murray's terrible, and they had uh, they lost Terrence Mitchell to an injury, and we saw a lot of Tremont Smith today. Do you have any any bright spots at all you saw from the defense today? Oh, only that. Um, you know the big thing I'd say with Reed, um, I, I think. If nothing else, right now they're still not the worst defense in the league. They may get there. Um, I, I think some of that can be corrected with, you know, if you've got a veteran team, then I think they would, in theory, should know how to at least correct some of the tackling mistakes. Now, maybe this, you know, all the vets we've got are not good, and that's that's fine, too, on the talent level. But um, and the other big thing is like we had no expectations coming into this season. 
So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'd be hard pressed to find anyone that had like this was going to be a playoff or bust team. Uh, no. I mean, if if the stars aligned right and everything goes, they might eight or nine wins, and that would be at the high, high end of a miraculous uh, deal. But so with no expectations, you know, you, you can't be that disappointed. Um, and, and I'd always be pleasantly surprised if they, you know, turned it around and this was the worst defensive game they have for the rest of the year. I don't think that's likely, but I wouldn't cry if that was the case. And the other thing, too, is they got so many linebackers. Well, now you see reports of, like, New Orleans and Green Bay are desperate for linebackers, so maybe Casario's got some good trade options over the next few weeks, too. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe with the, the Cunningham thing, maybe that opens the door there also. They already restructured his contract for next year, so, or for this year, so he has the lower cap hit, which didn't make any sense why they did it at all, but it opens the door possibly for there, especially after we've already seen you know, this disciplinary reason and nobody has uh, decided to expand upon why he was actually disciplined for the first quarter. I know Lonnie Johnson was last year because he did that. I always talk about this, but it still cracks me up. Whenever Lonnie Johnson that tweet last year for the Kansas City game saying, we don't we don't talk on here, we talk on the field while he's talking on the internet on the at, that, at, the, at the exact same time. <laughs> Why he's talking that, on social media? Yeah, we're not making fun of the exact thing that he's currently doing. And he was benched and John Reed started you know, that first half. And we didn't see John Reed really for the rest of the season, um, except from against Kansas City, which was kind of strange. But I, I didn't know the door opens for that. The one, the one bright spot I saw... Um, aside from Jake and Martin's sack, he really didn't do much aside from that, but it was still nice to see him get there after he got close a few times the week before against Jacksonville. But Cam McGregor Hill had an impactful game. They they don't really blitz at all, and you can't really blitz very much to the cover two defense unless you're, yeah. you're using zone blitzes, but then you're dropping Roy Lopez in the coverage, which was something that they did in week one too uh, to keep that alive, bringing back uh, flashbacks of Brandon Dunn dropping into coverage against Derrick oh, Henry, being the, being the flat route defender against Derrick Henry in that tight ends loss when <laughs> when Henry had that like 70-yard reception. Uh, but they, they, the one of the things that he did was that he actually blitzed and he looped around the outside, was one versus one in Stanovich, was able to swim over him and pick up, pick up a sack today. And then he also had three tackles for a loss too. He read the play well and was able to to jump some gaps, make some tackles in the backfield. And he's the guy playing the strong side linebacker as a little bit smaller guy. And you kind of typically see him play the role that Cunningham's playing. And um, he's been, you know, I would say probably better than Cunningham has to start the year too. And Kirksey was a little bit, was pretty rangy. He made a lot of screen tackles last week and he made that one tackle on the sideline, missed on, on Fennin. He had that reverse tackle, but he had the face mask penalty that gave him 15 yards. But I think Kirksey's been okay. I don't think either of them have covered very well at all. Uh, but at least Gregor Hill did something after not really kind of contributing very much in the week one win. So that's that's my my other bright spot aside from Justin Reed. Yeah, I mean, you, you take what you can get with this team. I mean, um, it's – but again, you you just – you know it's a lost season. So ultimately – Lot, you know, losses shouldn't matter too much. Uh, you would like to see quality play, smart play. And if they're going to get out-talented, okay, they're yeah. going to get out-talented. But I think what made this one a bit more painful was like just the dumbness that we thought was in the previous regime reared its ugly head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes yin and yang with teams, 
but you can't be dumb against more talented teams. Unfortunately, especially the road slate for this team, they're going to lose the talent battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree too. Um, so injuries wise, they lost Taylor. They lost Reed. It sounds like Reed's maybe able to play on Thursday. He didn't suffer a major injury. Amendola had a hamstring injury. Nico Collins left the game. Uh, Al Claire had that eye injury. And Terrence Mitchell had a concussion. And so now they're going to play this week against Carolina. Carolina's been you know, absolutely murderous as well, too. Uh, I joked about the Watson thing, but the schedule is about to get really tough. And that's kind of the hardest thing about the NFL is just how many injuries happen. It's the, you know, it's a violent game and, and violence leads to injuries. But they play Carolina on Thursday. Then they play Josh Allen in Buffalo. Then they get New England at home. Then they play the Colts. Then the Cardinals. Then the Rams. And then they play the Dolphins. Um, then the Titans, then the Jets. And if Jacoby Brissett's the quarterback, it really doesn't look like they have a, a game that may be winnable until they play the Dolphins, you know? And the Jets game is definitely winnable. Uh, you know, Zach Wilson's been trying to do, like, pull off the impossible every single play. And he had a he had three three pass attempts and three interceptions uh, in his loss to New England today, too. So it looks like it's going to be good. If, it looks like it's going to be really awful for the next, like, five or six weeks or so here. And uh, and without Taylor around, also it's kind of like what you alluded to and mentioned earlier that not only are they just like they were bad in the second half, but they were very boring, you know. And that's kind of like the the good thing about the first game and a half, which is how much fun. Like I I kind of felt like how I felt whenever Watson played that New England game his rookie year, where they went toe to toe to him, they lost because they couldn't play quarters against Brandon Cooks, and he had that you know toe tapping uh, catch at the at the sideline. That set that game-winning play from New England, but it kind of felt similar to that game, you know, where Houston had no expectations for them to win. They were the severe underdogs, and not only that, but like they were playing with them, and it was a lot of fun. The offense was interesting, and it was and it was efficient and everything else. And unlike that other one, this one, you know, they couldn't find their slipper at midnight, and it, yeah. it got awful you know, pretty quickly too. But yeah, it's the concern for the next few weeks without Taylor is it's not only are they probably bad, but it's probably boring. And the schedule is going to be, you know, absolutely gruesome too. Yeah. And I mean, when you win at Jacksonville, then you don't have the morbid fascination of, oh, well, the Texans go 0 17. Uh, Jacksonville seems to have the mantle for that one right now, um, which would be really funny in so many ways. But um, yeah, I, it's going to get tough for this team. <laughs> I mean, it's possible somebody under takes them doesn't take them very seriously and the Texans you know play much even smarter than they did against Jacksonville um cuz I think the best thing for the team is if they you know can avoid the dumbness they've had today but if like they they play smart they generally don't turn it over and they force you to beat them yeah. and teams can do it but that's that's generally pretty hard that takes a lot of work you know all the coaching clichés whatever but if you're playing against a team that doesn't beat themselves, you're going to have to work a lot harder to beat them. Yeah. And, and like, and also Carolina this week has the talent advantage as well. They've been, they they've nailed their defensive drafts the last two years. Um, they're, they're horrifying. They hit a lot. They have high impact players and I haven't watched their game yet from today, but Darrell had a really good stat line again. Their defense was, was gruesome against Zach Wilson in that week one game too. And so they're going to have to play, you know, similar fashion, and we had some breaking news that Tyrod Taylor will have an MRI tomorrow. We'll know more then, but for now, he's not going to play Thursday night. And Davis Mills is getting his first start. And as Tim said on Twitter, 
Uh, you call it Thursday night football. I call it tequila night football. <laughs> Who's going to need more tequila, Davis Mills or us? So, uh, yeah, I'm a, um, I'm a, it's a drink your dead grandpa scotch night football is what it is on Thursday. I don't know if I'd waste the good stuff on that game. You might just want to go with like, a, you know, Johnny Walker red or something in a mixed game. <laughs> That's a I, good point. Yeah, drink, I mean, drink, it, drinking out of a dog dish. Yeah. Now, admittedly, you know, again, the one thing I will say, uh, Thursday night games are always a strange beast, though, and a short turnaround can always do strange things for teams. So I'll be curious to see how it plays out. Um, I think I know which how I'm going to pick this one. But, uh, yeah, I think coming into the season, Carolina seemed like one of those maybe we could win, but historically we don't do well against them. And now at least their first two games, albeit against weak competition, or, you know, for the, in case of the Saints, they may have just had such a letdown after the emotional high from last week that they were due for a pounding. Um, but, yeah, Carolina's coming in with a lot of momentum, good young talent. For now, it seems like they're doing what the Jets couldn't with Sam Darnold. Uh, Darnold has played pretty effectively in the last two games, and mm-hmm. the prospect of going against this secondary, especially if Reed is not 100%, yeah, I don't think Darnold's a – quaking in his boots very much i think he might be if he's crying it's tears of joy so yeah. we'll see and and like my concern about darnell was that we already saw him in a bad offensive line and uh and they they pass protect not very well against the jets but they have a very good offensive game there's a lot of screen passes and darnell down with a lot of interior pressure he just had that deep touchdown pass in that post route to anderson against a, a two-eye safety shell there and today like it just sounded from what it looked like it looked like you know, the Saints just got beat up front by the Panthers' defensive front. And uh, they they have a pass rush that's eight players deep, you know. And, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, even regardless of it being a quick turnaround, I think Thursday's going to be a bloodbath. And I also think part of it, too, is they just – Houston doesn't tackle well. And Carolina has McCaffrey. They have they have DJ Moore. They have, uh, they have guys who break tackles and are really hard to bring down. And we've seen Zach Cunningham against Christian McCaffrey. It doesn't go very well. And so I'm not – I just want it to be fun at least, but I'm not expecting that. I'm praying for Davis Mills every night this week. <laughs> yeah, a lot of few candles for a soul or something, but um, we'll see. I mean, every, every game's different, but, you know, we'll, 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 we'll take it from there. Yeah, well, sounds good. Well, that's our, our show for tonight. Uh, thanks for coming on, Scott. If not, I was going to do this in my, by myself and play by myself instead. And I did that once last year in that game against Cincinnati, and it came out well enough, you know. But it's a lot more fun talking to you, and, and you were great tonight. And we'll be back on probably Wednesday. We'll try to do the Week 2 NFL preview instead of on Thursday, so that way we can get get ahead of it with the Texans-Panthers game on it, too. Um, until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, Scott. And also, make sure, if you're listening, read Totally Not Fake News. It's incredible. It's been great every week. It was the best Texans off-season content, uh, especially in the doldrums of summer. And uh, there's a lot of fun things in there, like what is Bill O'Brien's actual name, uh, the Nick Casario Raptor as well, too, how how Jack Easterby and Casario operate. Uh, all these things that you didn't know about, you'll know whenever you read Totally Not Fake News. <laughs> all the news that may or may not be fit to print, but we'll print it anyway. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Well, I'll talk to you soon, Scott, and uh, thank you for listening to Valred Radio. All right, appreciate it, Matt. That sounded good to me. I thought it was bad.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.